Welcome to The Read Along. A mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Powered by ATB. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book. One one chapter chapter at at a time. time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a multi-company co-working space focused on helping people pursue their passions and making Edmonton its creative best. Join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations all dedicated to getting things done. Besides desks and offices, Unit B offers members access to its podcasting studio and meeting spaces, as well as a kitchen, Wi-Fi, and the usual amenities. It's located in the historic McKinney Building on 104th Street, close to everything downtown, including the Bay LRT station. Book a tour today at unitb.ca. So uh, before we get into a recap of the last chapter, I think it's worth mentioning that we have been nominated for an award. Yes. <laughs> not not to sound like a humble brag, but I was genuinely surprised. Yeah. Uh, the Canadian Podcasting Awards are coming up, and we were very uh, humbled and honored to be nominated for Outstanding Arts Series. Well, one of uh, four or five. Well, we, were, we are among the nominees. Yes, we are among the nominees. And that's just delightful. Yeah, it's, it's it was nice, nice. to be recognized for our what is very much a passion project for us. Mm-hmm. Like we're not fancy and professional. We <laughs> we should see our fancy basement podcasting studio. Yes, our fancy uh, is very much in air quotes. <laughs> uh in and amongst the nerd stuff and amongst the bookshelves where really honestly a good book club should be held. Oh, agreed. Occasionally there's wine like it's uh We've upgraded. I have a chair now. Yeah. Uh, we used to record in our spare room, and I sat on the bed. It's true. Uh, <laughs> we, we've gotten slightly more hoity-toity. We are, we are oh so much fancier now. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay the work we, we put into it. This is, again, it's a passion project. We love to make the read-along. Oh, yes. We, it's something It's that, a good time. It's something fun that we do together, and it's something fun that we do for, hopefully, those of you who are reading along with us. And to get some recognition from uh, our peers is very delightful. It's nice to see. Like, let's be fair. We're not expecting we're going to win. Uh, (laughs) No, but it's, like you said, the recognition is nice. Yeah. It means we're doing something right. Yeah. And uh, so figured that we might lead off with uh, just a little acknowledgement, a little self-congratulation, a little pat on the back. Hey, we did a thing, and our thing is doing pretty good. um, So with that said, uh, while we are congratulating ourselves, chapter six of our novel was one of commiseration. Yes. As Owen and Thompson drank heavily and dwelt on the mistakes that led them to thwart one-twelfth of a terrorist (laughs) plot. Yes. And not the whole... Of the terrorist. Oh, no. If you ask me, that's better than nothing. Yeah. No, we were already saying in a a previous episode, like, the silver lining here is they did save Metmo. Yeah. And that's not nothing. No. Um, That is something to be proud of. But it is easy to lose that. It's true. In the wake of everything else. Yeah. The destruction of so many more buildings can kind of overshadow the fact that, yes, you did save one of them. Indeed. 
But as they're commiserating and then trying to recover from that commiseration, Thompson hits upon an idea uh, while Owen is singing a sea shanty that Kirkland may have one blind spot. Mm -hmm. And so that brings us into Chapter 7 of The Municipalists by Seth Freed. So this chapter begins our investigation into Sarah Laurie, suspected mastermind. I have lovingly noted that this chapter is is called, in my notes, the Sarah Laurie chapter. Yeah. All about Laurie. <laughs> All about Laurie. Well said. Thompson pitches this plan to Owen while they're both hung over the next morning because they're in no condition to discuss it the night before. How, can't Owen just, like, delete his hangover? Well, he effectively does, because as soon as he's on board with Thompson's plan, he is focused and ready to go. Which it is takes unfair, a little bit. Which is unfair to Thompson. Yeah. Poor guy can't do that. Uh, it does take a little bit because Owen is initially skeptical, primarily because when Sarah went missing originally, there was a manhunt for her. Like, she was one of the biggest celebrities in the city, and people were wondering where she went. And so there was a concerted effort to locate her. And the fact that she was not turned up, he's like, how are we going to find her? And Thompson is like, I'm not expecting we're going to find her, but we could look into her. Because the more we learn about her, the more we might learn about what's going on with Kirkland. Because she's tied up in it somehow. Yes. And Owen's like... like obviously she's tied up in it somehow. Yeah. Right? And, and Owen's like... That's pretty sound. That's a decent lead. Let's look into that. So as Thompson works to try to recover a little bit that morning and clean himself up at the YMCA they're staying at. <laughs> so uh, they, wait, they went from the scariest Airbnb ever. To a luxury hotel. To super duper ritzy to the Y. To, well, to sleeping in a museum. Oh yeah, sorry. To sleeping in a museum. To the Y. To the Y. Yeah. Uh, it's quite the progression they've had. They, I, I will be surprised if they are not sleeping in a different location tomorrow night. Oh, absolutely. Worst vacation ever. So as Thompson is trying to make himself vaguely presentable, Owen does quickly dig up all of the public information he can on Sarah uh, The Owen version of Googling. With, y- basically yes. what he's doing. So what we learn right off the top is she is, first of all, an ethical vegan. She is yes. an avid reader, a voracious reader. Yep. Uh, she hates... Institutional racism. She hates lack of intellectual curiosity and famously hates cilantro. Uh, (laughs) She recently held a fundraiser for victims of a fire in Baton Rouge where she played When the Saints Go Marching In on Trumpet. And that kicked off a brief trumpeting fad, which is, I'm going to note, further proof of her charisma. (laughs) Yes. If you can make the trumpet cool. She also regularly wrote and edited for both the Newton Quarterly Review and the Marigold at her school. Yes. I assume the Marigold was like the student paper. Yes. Uh, the Marigold is explicitly the uh, student paper, as we learn later in the chapter. Yeah. She played Nathan Detroit in an all-woman guys and dolls. Okay. I want to talk about this for a minute. Okay. My theater brain sort of kicked into gear. Okay. Just, just enough. The role of Nathan Detroit was made famous in the film version of Guys and Dolls by Frank Sinatra. That's saying something. Yeah. Sinatra. Which I mean, is, I'm saying is it's become an iconic role because it's been played by such an iconic person, right? So for her to play Nathan Detroit, it's a big deal. I would, it's, I would it's agree. It's maybe not as far as say Hamlet, <laughs> right? It's that that's the stereotypical everyone aspires to play Hamlet. Doesn't everybody kind of aspire role. to play Richard the Third? Isn't that the big oh, Shakespearean role? Uh, I don't know. I always thought it was Hamlet, but maybe I'm wrong. Just I'm saying it's a big deal. 
Uh, it's not her only theater accolade that Owen digs up. She apparently also recently starred in an avant-garde play that she wrote and directed herself. Oh, I can't wait to talk about the play. And Owen also digs up a recent incident where she was being interviewed by a journalist who then kind of insulted her just to get a rise out of her. And this was weirdly topical because that just recently happened to Adam Driver. Yes. And that immediately sprang to mind. Uh, because for those of you who are unaware, Adam Driver, who plays Kylo Ren in the Star Wars films, probably what he's most famous for. He's he's a good actor. Mm -hmm. He's been in other stuff, but that's probably what he's most famous the, for. The big deal going on about him right now is A Marriage Story. Yes. With uh, Scarlett Johansson. Indeed. Um, but he was doing an interview with, I want to say NPR, and he's previously made it very clear that he's uncomfortable watching himself uh, perform. Yeah, like, it, it triggers some anxiety for him, and it's not. Yeah, it's, it's not great. It's it's a serious anxiety thing, and he's asked people before, please don't subject me. Don't show me clips of me to it's... watching myself because that is triggering to me. Like it, it, I have panic attacks. Like don't do that. And they did it anyway, despite the fact that he had asked beforehand, please don't do this. So he walked out of the interview, and they kind of framed it as Adam Driver being, being all an actor prissy about it. And yeah. Man, uh... Being, being a temperamental actor and storming out of the interview. And the actual correct reaction to that is, well, no. You guys were being jerks. You guys were jerks and you purposefully did something to set him off. And he actually handled it probably the healthiest way he could, which yeah. was to just end the interview and walk out. Yeah, just leave the situation. And that is, that's literally what happens here. Yes. Is that uh, Sarah Laurie gets ambushed by a quote unquote journalist just to get a reaction out of her. And then it was obviously then sold to a tabloid. Because Owen digs it up on some tabloid YouTube channel. Yeah, it was on like celebrity meltdowns or something, yeah. which is just awful. I actually wanted to talk to you about that. Okay. As someone with uh, your journalistic experience. Sure. How did, how did reading through that hit your brain? It hit me as that was a very unprofessional thing for that journalist to do. Right? Like she was absolutely in the right to... Correct. And, and I'm impressed that she kept her composure uh, as well as she did. Yeah. Like, like that was... That was that was kind of skeezy journalism. It was 100% skeezy journalism. It's tabloid journalism. Yeah. Like it was awful. There's there's a difference between asking hard-hitting questions that are difficult for a subject if there's public good in in asking those questions uh or if you're trying to get to the core of someone because you're you're doing a legitimate like biographical piece on them. And and but then they're in a situation where they're expecting hard questions too. If you're doing a fluff piece on her charity work and you ambush her with a completely inappropriate question that she's clearly uncomfortable answering then and yeah, it's completely off topic then you've then you've you've done a bad journalism and you're a bad journalist and that's kind of the difference going on here yeah there's a difference between 60 minutes and entertainment tonight <laughs> and if you're and if you're doing a fluff piece on a press junket for a movie and you're asking hard-hitting inappropriate questions guess what you very badly misjudged what your job is and you're bad at it yes um so you're not barbara walters back off <laughs> right and that's kind of the situation here it's clearly it's a it's a puff piece about her charity work it's a very inappropriate question for a teenager no less absolutely like inappropriate on so many levels and uh the journalist clearly knew what he was doing because owen even points out in the clip that like, he's smirking. Oh, yeah. As he he's, leaves the interview. He's so. being a jerk. So that happened. And we've uh, we've discussed it quite a bit. But Thompson at this juncture still doesn't quite get her attraction to Kirkland. But at the very least, 
he thinks he can wrap his head around why she would want to withdraw from public life. Oh, yeah. Because, like, if this is where her celebrity status has led to at this point, he can understand wanting to get away. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm totally on her side with that. Yeah. So at this juncture, the decision is made that clearly if she was a voracious reader and she was working and studying at Newton College, they should go and look into what she's been reading. Yeah. That bit about her being an avid reader. Yeah. uh, Actually very useful. Very important. So they decide to go look at her library records and uh, they head to Newton, which is in a very posh neighborhood. Not surprising. Uh, posh enough that Thompson's rumpled appearance starts to draw notice. So Owen quickly disguises them as like two well-to-do ladies. <laughs> and uh. it's such a convincing disguise that they're able to waltz onto onto a gated campus without a second thought. With like, a, I believe the term was matronly frown. Indeed. Like no one even gives them a second Disapproving. Glance. How dare you question my presence here, sir. While they're on their way there, Owen also asks Thompson to not talk about model trains for a while. Okay, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a small tangent here for a second. What? Owen is a supercomputer. He is the AI interface for a supercomputer who desperately wants to make a friend. Dude, look up some model train stuff. Join in the convo. Uh, yes, but apparently at his drunkest, Thompson went off for like an hour on model trains. Oh, you don't think Owen could keep up with that? Come well, on now. Owen was also very badly drunk at the time, and is like. I'm kind of at my limit on model trains right now. I'm not saying never talk about them again, but maybe, like, hold off for a few days. And Thompson's like, okay. He actually doesn't even have any memory about it. I know. Because they had drank so much the day before. I'm a little disappointed in Owen for not being able to keep up with a real person. To be fair, Owen's interested in, like, film primarily. That's his big thing. And talking about model trains might be so dry and boring that even the supercomputer is bored by it. And this is with all due respect to I'm a, any, I'm a make a face to here. any model train enthusiast listening to the episode right now. Because I know that Edmonton has a radial society and they are into trains. And I'm not trying to disparage that. We've been to a train show, you and I. We have. It's true. It was cool. So arriving on campus, they head to the library. And uh, obviously classes are out because a big civic emergency is underway. Yeah, but no one wants to go to class. Uh, and they were kind of expecting the library would be closed and they'd be able to sneak in. But they're very surprised to see that it's open. And there's someone in there. There are uh, signs of life all over the place on their walk to campus. Yeah. And it's a normal reaction, I think, that people are trying to get back to a sense of normalcy. To, to an extent, yes. Yeah. So... Um, Maybe maybe the librarian needed the distraction. Fair enough. It's like, you know what? I'm going to go to work. I can't deal with this anymore. Well, it's not the only distraction she gets that morning because oh, goodness. Owen disguises them as a pair of firemen. And uh, as they make their way in and notice the librarian, he basically just starts shouting, fire, get out of here. This place is on fire. Go. Get. Get out. Okay, so the note I wrote on Owen for this bit was that he's really good at clever disguises. Not so great at plans. <laughs> like like thinking on his feet kind of plans. Again, and he is a super supercomputer. You think he would know better. Yeah. I think, anyway. it's, I think it's more that he hits upon what he believes rationally is an effective way to do a thing, but doesn't consider the broader implications of it because he's not very good at lateral thinking because he is a supercomputer. Yeah. So he, a rational... A rational excuse to walk into a building at an odd time is being a firefighter. A rational reason for a firefighter to be there is a fire. 
if there's a fire, a rational response is someone's going to get out of the building. But he doesn't consider that there's no obvious fire. He doesn't consider that she might go and get more help. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a to B without considering C. Indeed. He's like He's like all of those uh all of those things you see on the internet where it's like, I forced a bot to watch six hours of commercials and made them write a commercial and here's what happened and it's just delightful nonsense yes that's kind of what owen's operating like he is behaving like those bots so once they're sure the library is cleared they break into and i have that in quotations in my notes the antiquated (laughs) library computer system owen is aghast at how old this computer is and is like what are the students tuition paying for get this woman A better computer, for God's sake. (laughs) A mouse? What is this? Yeah. uh, So it doesn't exactly take leet hacking skills to quickly bring up (laughs) uh, Sarah Laurie's borrowing history. Yes. And while they're waiting for it to print off on what I can only assume is like a dot matrix printer. That's that's what I pictured too, a really loud dot matrix printer. Very slowly, line by line, printing things off. Printing on like NCR paper or something. They start hearing banging on the door and they see a security guard there with the librarian who's returned. And their cover is essentially blown because there's no fire. Yeah, there's no fire and these two firemen are like going through the computer. Yeah, actually I think Owen did kind of create some illusionary fire but it's yes. clearly not spreading they're obviously not putting it out so and it just magically appeared in front of them suddenly yeah owen like tries to scramble to uh save the illusion by like pretending to put out a fire and the security guard's clearly not buying it <laughs> like no something's up here so thompson leaves the tie clip by the window at owen's request and goes back to check into this lengthy printing process some more and then starts hearing screams from outside and we owen's at it again we later learn that owen has scared off the librarian and the security guard with a bear attack right because those happen all the time on a college campus indeed now thompson to his credit is like well at least this is more believable than a monster clown okay i give owen points for that it's slightly more realistic than a monster clown because bears actually exist yeah well highly unusual It is at least within the realm of possibility. And so in this case, at the very least, the librarian and the security guard uh, do not pass their will check to disbelieve the illusion (laughs) and are very suckered in. Um, Yes. And that gives Thompson enough time that he's able to do a little bit more digging while they're there. Yes. He pulls all the writings of Sarah Laurie. Uh, Or at least some of her more recent stuff. Yeah. um, A copy of her play. And some bound editions of the Marigold. Yeah, so for her uh, articles. On his way back, Thompson attempts to do a heroic vault over the desk to grab the printing paper in a hurry and... Botches the roll. Yeah, he fails that dex check. Uh, (laughs) Creates a huge mess, but does manage to grab the printout and the tie clip and save some face as he limps out of the library. Hmm. Okay, and I do give Owen points for their exit oh it's stylish it's it's very nice Uh, it kind of makes up for it it's a good strong finish as they vacate the campus animal control shows up because of course a bear attacking people on campus draws some notice there's like dormitories you can't tell me that security guard doesn't have a radio yeah and oh they had stopped at the security gate to open the the gate just as the van was pulling up so owen quickly pops on a security guard disguise and is just like, oh, oh, thank goodness you're here. Yeah, you've shown up just in the nick of time. Phew, come on in. <laughs> Pay no attention to these other two security guards who are now running away from campus. Indeed. Well, they've got a bear to worry about that has <laughs> mysteriously disappeared. Of course. We transition. And I just want to bring up right now that I'm really starting to notice Seth Freed's 
mise-en-scene. Mm-hmm. Like, it's become more and more notable to me as the story has continued. Most of his, like, passages, and I don't mean, like, literally every paragraph. I mean, when we start a new chapter, when we have a break, especially if they're moving through town, there's, like, a full paragraph about the area that they're in. And it's actually quite evocative, I find. It really sets the scene, and they tend to end up in neighborhoods that really set the tone for what's going to be going on there mm-hmm. in, a, in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. So I, it just, it jumped out at me. So I wanted to mention it. <laughs> book, cl- book club style. So, so book clubby of you. Indeed. As they move through the slightly more middle class yeah. t- area. Move, move away from the posh center. Yeah. Uh, they find a cafe and settle in to do some research. I wouldn't even call it a cafe. I'd call it like a greasy spoon diner. Sure. Owen gets really excited to order some food for the first time that he can't eat. Oh, which is so silly. And when it finally arrives, he also delights in making Thompson eat it and seems more pleased that at the food that Thompson clearly is not enjoying than the food that he actually seems to like, which was just delightful. <laughs> this is awful. Oh, yes. I hate this. It is revolting. More? Please. Thompson also uses this opportunity to give him a little constructive feedback on his... Uh, illusions on the fire gambit and the bear attack which owen manages to somehow turn right back around at him and turn (laughs) it into a critique that thompson needs to be more careful not to trip and fall in unusual locations and create messes like this is obviously what we need to do is make sure that you're paying attention that's what the takeaway from this is the bear attack is perfect (laughs) yeah i don't have any flaws i'm a supercomputer The, the problem here is you my human companion um, but Owen kind of brings up a point here that is interesting, that Thompson even kind of reluctantly cedes, uh, which is that they need to be a little unpredictable. Yeah, because predictable gets them in trouble. Well, Kirkland is a bureaucrat and a very effective bureaucrat, and yes. he knows the book on Usmus inside and out. And if they act by the book, Kirkland beats them every time. Yeah, he, will he knows what they're them. doing. He's more experienced than them. He knows the city better, and he knows their procedures better than they do. Yeah, he absolutely will have the upper hand. His his plan, right from get-go, has involved outsmarting Usmus. Like, even before the first terror attack that hit the Usmus headquarters, mm-hmm. the, his, his plan was taking into account every single thing Usmus would do to try to counter him. By acting unpredictably, by not following the book, they are more effectively throwing a monkey wrench in Kirkland's plans. No, and he does have a point. And Thompson agrees at this juncture, too. That That is a fair point. Then that is something that they need to keep in mind. Finally, they turn to their list of books. Yep. So it's time to go through all of their stolen records. And so we do some reading about them doing some reading on Sarah Laurie's reading. And writing. And writing. Yes. yes. Her borrowing starts out fairly innocuous. Very student-esque. Indeed. And then starts to get into civic design and theory, which Thompson finds interesting. And notably because some of the books that she was reading are books that he himself loved. Mm -hmm. Well, and considering what we already know about Sarah Laurie, that seemed like a pretty natural progression. Yeah, but then they start to veer into radical fringe sociology. Which also sort of follows the progression of Sarah Laurie that we already know about. Yes, but Thompson finds it a little troubling. And the most troubling reveal is that the last book she took out of the library was a book on beginner's Esperanto. Yeah, that that to me is kind of a major red flag. Yeah, that pretty much has Owen immediately go, oh, whatever Kirkland's up to, she is definitely involved. Oh, she is 100% in it. Now, 
I suspect that Kirkland is actually involved in Sarah Laurie's plan. Which you've said before, I remember. But Owen is at the very least on the right path, I believe. Uh, Yes. If nothing else, there is a strong connection there. Indeed. Thompson then turns to her writings in the Marigold. They also start out fairly tame, the usual kind of stuff that an opinion writer might write about. Yeah. And then they start to turn more and more radical and critical of her father's government, which again is something we kind of already knew. Yeah, we already knew. And it coincides with her reading becoming more extreme as well. So clearly this is so I'm not sure following which, a pattern here. Yeah, but I'm not sure which one fueled the other. Um, I'm going to assume that quite probably her reading... Fueled her articles? Fueled her articles, and that her reading may have come from her meeting Kirkland. Possibly. Uh, based on later developments. Thompson actually also wonders why this writing in the Marigold didn't attract more attention because he's like, there's some scandalous stuff here. Yeah. Like, why was this not news? And Owen's like, (laughs) dude, this is a student newspaper for a local college. No one read it. Yeah, nobody read it. And Thompson's like, fair point. Like, a handful of campus people read it and that handful of people probably didn't care enough to do anything about it. Yeah. The paper also has a few photos of Kirkland and Sarah Laurie. Yeah, this is where we learn about uh, their connection. Well, at least they're. I'm not going to call it a meet cute because that's not what it is. But this is this is a strong connection between Sarah Laurie and Terence Kirkland. Yeah. So apparently Garrett had made it official at some point that Usmus, um, senior Usmus agents, the Mucky Mucks, the Mucky Mucks, people on Kirkland's level, needed to involve themselves in basically um, civic outreach. And despite the fact that Kirkland apparently just raised holy hell about this uh, this rule and wanted yeah. nothing to do with it. Stormed in with a whole bunch of how dare yous and I'm not a babysitter. and Yeah, he did end up getting involved in Newton College's uh, like civics club. Yeah. I and... want to call it a student outreach, but I'm not sure if that's the right... And Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the right term for it. Um, and Sarah was part of this club. Of course she was. Um, and then there's a later photo of Lori at a fundraiser, and she's with Kirkland, and they're looking mighty close in that photo. Mm-hmm. Like there's a like, there's, there's there's a, a familiarity. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. A familiarity to their postures. Indeed. Thompson cracks open her play. Oh, and finally we get to talk about her play. Yeah. Owen describes it as, quote, confessional pseudo-symbolic garbage. A solid play analysis. Indeed. <laughs> based, um, based solely on the synopsis we got. Yeah. Ugh. So uh, as we've already been giving you a synopsis of this chapter, now we give you a synopsis of the play. Uh, A woman flees her suitors, wanders alone for a time in the forest, and then comes across a wizard's tower. The wizard is powerful and controls the universe. They end up falling in love while discussing the innate evil of humankind, uh, as their own philosophical discussions get more and more extreme, and then essentially die together and are together forever in the night sky as a figure-eight constellation. Owen's like, well, that sounds familiar. It's it's, it's almost like political R&J, not quite... It just, ugh. just the synopsis of it had me rolling my eyes. <laughs> like, I rolled my eyes right out loud. Yeah, Sarah Laurie might be very charming. She might be super intelligent. She might be incredibly charismatic. She is not a very good playwright. I know. She might even be a good actress because, again, she was, she was playing a major role in Guys and Dolls. I know lots of fine actors and actresses who would make terrible playwrights. Fair enough. 
I could go on about this play, but our podcast does not have that kind of time. Fair enough. There, an entire episode just for the play. <laughs> like, I want to talk about the play. The main takeaway, though, that Owen has and that Thompson kind of agrees with is that this shows that Sarah Laurie is a very literal thinker. Her main creative output so far has been either nonfiction or has been this play, which thinly is... Thinly veiled fiction. Thinly veiled fiction about her own life. Thompson wonders if that means that the figure eight symbol might mean something. And I think he's right. It probably does. Yeah, because it's so prominent in the play. And mm-hmm. if she's so straightforward in her one-to-one symbolism, then... She really is. Clearly the constellation and the fact that the the wizard controls the universe and he puts her in the firmament of the universe. So maybe Kirkland has hid Sarah Laurie somewhere in the city infrastructure. And Owen's like, oh, yes, Terrence Kirkland, the man who knows the city better than anyone, hid her somewhere in the city. Why didn't I think of that genius? And then Owen starts doing some checks. Uh, Well, Thompson prompts him to check, first of all, the sewer system. Yeah. Are there any sewer junctions that look like a figure eight? And Owen's like, nope. Nope. And so he goes, okay, well, how about the old subway system? Is there anything there? And Owen's like, Mm, no. Well, the old subway system mostly ran along streets. It was discontinued years before Kirkland took over, and Kirkland's only real contribution to the subways was developing the algorithm. And Thompson lights up like a child at Christmas, (laughs) and Owen's like, no, not Metro stuff. No more trains. (laughs) But uh, that appears to be where we're headed. Yeah, And that's our cliffhanger for the end of the episode, is that Thompson Thompson has a hunch to follow. And, and he's thinks, all excited about it because it's, yeah, and thinks it's he, the metro system. And he thinks he might know where Sarah Laurie is. So that means that we might be uh, having another shoe drop in this story as soon as next chapter. Yeah. Because if Sarah Laurie is indeed the mastermind I think she is, perhaps our, uh, our intrepid heroes are walking into more danger than they expect. Well, we're about halfway through the novel. Right? Now, is, now is a good time for a twist. Now is a good time for a twist. Indeed. So we'll have to find out next week if a twist is in store. As we move into chapter eight yes. of our novel. Uh, and while we do that, um, Anita. Yes. One thing that uh, the librarian and the guard did in an emergency while being attacked by a bear was to call for assistance. And do you know when you should be calling for assistance? We asked these children if they know when to go to emergency and when there are other options. If, like, your heart stopped beating, if you were really sick, if you were super-duper hurt, you'd come. They're there to treat people that are really sick or really hurt and they need attention right away. If you have an emergency, we're here to help. If it's not an emergency, you have options. Take control of your health. Call 811 or visit ahs.ca slash options. So yeah, AHS. Just a reminder on when you should be calling 911. Or if you're if you're a listener from another country where your emergency service does not use 911, when you should be calling that emergency service. Yeah, what emergency services in general. Yeah, we have some international listeners. I don't want to assume that you all use 911. We do here in Canada. I believe that is true in the United States as well. For sure. Where... I'm, let's be fair. The bulk of our listeners are North American. They have TV shows about it. Rescue 911. Apparently there's a new one out called 911 too. Sure. We don't have cable. <laughs> no, but we do have the internets. Yes, we, we stream a lot of our media. So, 
Um, at any rate, uh, while you're also streaming media, you can stream many of the other fine podcasts from the Alberta Podcast Network. Absolutely. We recommend it even. Yeah. Um, you can check them out at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Mm-hmm. Or through the CKUA app. Where they are all generously hosted. Or really, wherever you find your podcasts. Where they are generously hosted. Yes. <laughs> you can also find us on social media. Yep. We have the standard collection, plus an extra fancy one, because... We're like that. Yeah. We have the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, and the Goodreadses. Yeah, we're at the read along at pretty much all the above. Yep. You can send us an email if you like. That's the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we'll see you next time. Wouldn't it technically be a woman hunt for her? You've been dwelling on that since I said manhunt. You really have. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com.